So we will finish the Maimah today, which was very quick. We went through it very quickly. Um, it is also a very short Maimah. When you look at it with all the English and the additions, it looks longer, but in the actual text, it's, it's, a, it's a short little Maimah. Yesterday, we were speaking about the advantage of doing mitzvot, of learning the halachot, specifically without pleasure and understanding. We said not to strive for that, but when there are scenarios where you don't understand, where the halakha is so nuanced and details, detailed that it's beyond logic, beyond human logic at all, and usually when things are beyond logic, they're beyond, they're beyond pleasure, right? Because you find pleasure, especially when it comes to intellectual ideas in the Torah, um, when you understand them. When you don't understand them, not only is there a lack of understanding, there's a lack of pleasure. But the Mimer's argument is actually in those places, in those scenarios that we're getting the closest to the truth of the Torah because the truth of the Torah we can never really understand and the truth of the Torah is created with the intention the whole Torah is there with the intention that we should be doing action down here we said the action is the main thing and what enables us to do the action down to the details of exactly how Hashem wants us to do them all what we said, the brises over the Mishnah, the explanation, the details that make up the Mishnah, the detailed points, not the general points of, of, of halachot and of mitzvahs. And now we're going to go back to the original, what's called Divrei HaMatchil, opening sentence of the Maimer. The Maimer is called Vayetze Yitzchak Lasuach Basadeh, which is, which means that Yitzchak went out to pray or to speak. We're going to translate it as to speak words of Torah. Um, that he went out into the field, Lifnot Erev, before evening. And then it says, Vihine, and behold, he looked up and he saw that Rivka was approaching, Eliezer was approaching with Rivka, his future wife. This is from Parsha Chayesar, next week's Parsha. And we, we opened up the Mimer with this verse, then we put it aside. Now, not directly right away, we're going to have a few more ideas, but today we're going to go back to that opening verse. We're going to go back to the Pasuk in Parshish Chayasara and understand it with a completely new understanding on a completely different dimension based on what we've discussed so far. Okay, so we're up to part two, page 15. Does everyone have the place? Yeah? Awesome. So now, if you were here when we were learning Anila Dodi, you might remember that we learned, according to Chassidus, um, there's a difference between what's called an ear and a sadeh, spiritually, a city represents one thing spiritually and a sadeh, a field, represents something else. We said a city is where the sophisticated people live, right? Those with the fancy jobs, that they sit in their offices and they use their minds and they're sophisticated people, they're doing very important things. And that, according to Chassidus, in the spiritual world represents the tzaddikim and the malachim and the and the neshamot, um, right? The righteous people, the angels, and the souls that are up in heaven, they're sophisticated when it comes to understanding godliness. They have a lot more revelation, they have a lot more light, and they're much closer, seemingly, to the truth. And then we have what's called the sadeh, the field, which is outside of the city. And we said that in the field, that's where the farmers live. They're simple people, they're not so sophisticated, they're not fancy, and they are working the fields. And as we argued in Anil Dodi, and the Maimah is going to go back to this argument here, you would think that the city is more important than the field. But what's actually more important? The field. The field. Remember why we said the field is more important? Why would the field... This was a while ago, I know. Food. Food. 
What are they doing in the field? They're making food. And they're providing the city and all the sophisticated, fancy people in the city with food. And if you don't have food, then your talents and your advances are worthless. And, um, and so in Ani Ludadi, we, we explain that they're providing food to the city and to the king himself as well. In this mimer, we're going to compare Ir and Sadeh, a city and a field, with a Brisa and a Mishnah. We're going to say that the Mishnah is the city. It's much more sophisticated. Bless you. It's much closer to the light, as we discussed. And the Brisa, which comes from the word Bar, Bar in Aramaic means outside, is compared to the, the field, which is outside of the city. So that even though you would think it's less sophisticated, because as we discussed, the Brisa is dealing with very, very, very... Um, nitty-gritty topics, I guess we can call it, that seem very far away from the light. They're not discussing God and all these big intellectual questions. They're discussing, you know, if this part touched this, you know, this, this uh, it went to dairy, went to, went to meat, etc., etc. What exactly is the halakha? What is exactly the law? So you're not seeing God very much there, but actually that's what's providing the city with its food. That's what's actually sustaining the Mishnah because the entire point of the Mishnah the entire point of the Torah in general is to teach us how to serve God in our day-to-day lives down to the smallest detail. And that is provided by specifically the Bryces. Okay, so let's see that inside. Page 15 at the top. The Hine. Now, Mishnah Nikra'ir. A Mishnah is compared to a city. Ubraisa b'chinat sadeh. And a Bryce is compared to a field. Lashon bar, which means outside. Chutz la'ir, outside of the city. And we would think, if we hadn't learned Hasidus, that the city is the main thing, that the Mishnah is the main thing. The Mishnah is the klal, it's general, it's inclusive, it's closer to the written Torah. It, is, it still has some sort of residue of godly light that someone with divine inspiration with Ruch HaKodesh can experience somewhat more than the Bryce at least. So we would think that the Mishnah is higher. We would think that the city is more important. I would think the city is the main thing. Because that's where people live. Seemingly, the city is on a much higher level than the field, since people live specifically in the city and not in the field. So too, it would seem that the Mishnah is much higher than the Brisa. However, let's look. Who is the one who sustains those people in the city? It's the field. Which is found outside of the city. Because that is where all the produce is brought from and is supplied. So too with the Brises. They give life and they sustain the Mishnah. And they explain the law, the Halakha. In even more detail, and tells us exactly how we should fulfill the mitzvot. If you just, it says here, as our sages say in the Gemara, Mavale olam, that they destroy the world, that those who open up a Mishnah and are posek, how do you say posek in English, are ruling, thank you, I think I asked that already, yes, are ruling halakha based only on the Mishnah, they're called mavale olam, those who destroy the world, because they're actually destroying Judaism, because you cannot take out halakha, practical halakha from the Mishnah, it's just too deep, it's just too general. We need to go down to the details to know exactly how we need to do the halakha. As it says, Those who teach directly from the Mishnah are called Mavale Olam. Those who destroy the world. So, 
page 16, the Altarabah has explained the difference between the Mishnah and Brisa and the advantage that the Brisa, the field, has in sustaining us with detailed Torah laws. Like the physical field gives grain which makes bread to live off of. Now he will return to explain the verse quoted at the beginning of the Mimer, describing how Yitzchak went out to talk in the field before evening. So now we're going to relate this idea, this mashal that we brought in about Mishnah and Brisa, how you would think the Mishnah is higher, but actually the Brisa is higher, and relate it back to this verse. The zeal. So this is the meaning that Yitzchak went out to talk in the field, right? Sicha means a conversation, a talk. When we say lasuach, we mean that it's from the language of speech, talking. And also from the language of what's called bending down. Have you guys heard of the word to bow down? It's from the same word here of lasuach. Shchia means to bend down, lamata below. So there are two interpretations you can take of this one word that Yitzchak went out to speak in the field. One, lasuach, to speak, and another, le shchia, to bend down, to lower himself, lamata below. Moshon v'shach rom anashim, which is from Yeshaya, he will bend down the arrogance of man. So just showing that this root word of shin chet, lasuach, can also be interpreted as lowering. The ken kasha yifarosh ha-socheh, and also that the swimmer bends down in order that he can swim. Lishot um, means to swim also in modern, also in modern um, Hebrew as well. So we see from this that the word lasuach, to talk, mentioned Yitzchak, can either mean to talk or to bend down. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to break this down each word so we can get a new interpretation away from the pshat interpretation. We know that the basic interpretation, we discussed this at the beginning, was that he went out to speak. What was he speaking? He was speaking prayer before evening. What's the prayer before evening? Mincha. And this is actually the source in the Torah for our prayer of Mincha, right? We said Avram established Shacharit, the morning prayer. Yitzchak established Mincha, the afternoon prayer before evening. And then Yaakov established Meirev, which was in the evening. So according to the simple meaning of this pasuk, he went out to pray in the field, and that's where he established the prayer of Mincha. We're looking at this from a deeper level. So we're saying lasuach means to speak. It could also mean to bend down. He went out where? Where did he go out? He went out to the field. Basadeh. And what do we say sadeh represents? Ubar. It's outside. He went outside of the city. Which is... We are on page 16. Last line. You got it? So we said when we say, when we're saying that uh, Yitzchak went out to speak, slash to bend down, where did he go? To the field, which we said represents bar outside, which is representative of the Brisa, which is outside the Mishnah, like the field is outside of the city. Velifnot Erev. When did he go out? Before evening. Lifnot means like lifnet. Before evening, before nightfall. But we can also translate lifnot as lefanot. Also in modern Hebrew, the, the word lefanot, does anyone know what lefanot means? It, it means to, to like clear away. If someone wants lefanot et like they're clearing up the table. So lefanot means to clear away, to push away. Ha'ereva choshech, lefanot ha'ereva choshech, to push away the evening and the darkness. So we can say lefanot erev means before evening. Or lefanot et ha'erev, which means to clear away and to push away the night and the darkness. <coughs> As we see here, the word lifnot before is the same letters as lifanot, to clear out or to remove. Based on the above, we can translate the verse as follows. So now we're translating this verse based on the mimer, based on the secrets of the Torah, okay? Not according to the pshat. Ba'yetze Yitzchak, and Yitzchak went out. 
So Yitzchak is still Yitzchak here, which is not always the case, by the way, when you're learning Maimar. Many times you'll learn, oh, Yitzchak represents uh, fear, right? Achashverosh represents, you know, every, sometimes the, the name itself is representative of a deeper concept. But here it's Yitzchak. We're talking about Yitzchak. Yitzchak went out, la suach, to bend himself down to the level of basadet, to the level of field, a place outside of the city where people live, referring even to dealing with people or things in an unholy situation. Lift not Erev, in order to clear out and remove the spiritual darkness from that place. So what we're seeing here play out is the argument that this mimer has made. We see that Yitzchak was taking this um, on himself. We said that there is a disadvantage to those who are enlightened. There are, there's a disadvantage to those who open up the Torah and they only see the front of the Torah, the light. Because then they are dazzled by the light and they are not able to see the details and we said the details are the most important even though they are the most dark most difficult to understand and the least pleasurable to learn and to take on that's the main thing so what is Yitzchak doing Yitzchak is an enlightened person he's one of the Avot right he wants to connect to Torah on the true level of connecting to the Torah so what does he have to do he has to um, he has to leave he has to leave his spiritual enlightened place and he has to bend down, lower himself to the level of actually seeing the Torah in an unenlightened way, just seeing the details. He has to lower himself to the level of Sadeh. Sadeh is where you deal with mundane, physical things, not sophisticated, enlightened ideas. So that, in order that he can actually clear away the darkness, so that the darkness can be transformed into light. So it's an entirely new interpretation of this verse. It's taking this verse and understanding it on a much deeper level of what Yitzchak was doing spiritually in this moment and what the Torah is teaching us here. Any questions or comments before we continue inside? Good? Okay, so let's continue. Dehine, the idea is, The Torah descended down into darkness. As it says, that you can find me, that I dwell in the darkness. Hashem is speaking about himself, that you can find Hashem in the darkness. And it says, this is referring to the Talmud Bavli, that descended so low, that it involves itself even with scenarios, as we discussed previously, where we're dealing with people who lie. So you guys learned the difference a bit of the Talmud Bavli versus the Talmud Yerushalmi? Okay, so um, the Talmud Bavli is considered, the, the Babylonian Talmud, the Gemara, is considered to be, that's the one that we learn, right? That's the one that and most people learn solely, completely. Most people don't know how to learn Yerushalmi at all. Um, but it's considered to be less enlightened than the Talmud Yerushalmi. The Talmud Yerushalmi was discussed and written in Jerusalem, in Israel, versus the Talmud Bavli, which was compiled in Babylon, in exile. And so the Babylonian Talmud is considered to be less enlightened than the Yerushalmi Talmud. And however, what do we actually study? What do we actually learn? It's the Talmud Bavli. Um, even though the Talmud Bavli has descended so low, it's dealing with so many scenarios that only happen when Jews are in exile. So many different questions and scenarios and back and, back and forths and stories that are dealing with darkness, that are dealing with people who are lying, who are bad, and it's relating these things. And we said that when we're learning that Gemara, that's Torah, right? It's not, it's, not like the, it's not like an exception to the Torah when we're talking about people who are lying. That's part of Torah itself. 
But when you apply the Torah and the knowledge of good and evil to practical situations of good and evil, in order to find out what the truth is and to find out how we should actually serve Hashem, you're clearing away the evil and you're revealing the light there. So we mentioned earlier in the Mimer that the Torah addresses how to deal with situations where two people are arguing. One of them is definitely lying. For example, two people claim full ownership of the same object. The fact that the Torah deals with such lowly matters is a great descent from its lofty source of being Hashem's wisdom. So why is this the case? Why did Torah descend down into the darkness? The answer is in order to clear away the darkness, right? The only way you can actually get rid of something is to enter into it and, and face it head on. As it says by Yehi'or, and there was light. At the time of night, right at the peak of night, it becomes light, right? I think there's lots of songs like... What's it? Right before the dawn, it's dark or something. All those kind of light quotes. There we go. It's always darkest before the dawn. That's what it's saying here. So now you know the source in Zechariah. That it's always darkest before the dawn. And how do we bring out the light? By specifically descending into the darkness. And it says specifically, we'll see, not to get stuck in the darkness, to remember the purpose, which is to clear it away. But if you want to transform darkness, which is part of the process of bringing Mashiach, which is part of the process of do, fulfilling our purpose in the world is not only to do good things, but also to get rid of the bad, we have to descend into those things. We can't just live on a sphere above them. And the Torah shows us that that's the way we need to live our lives because the Torah itself does this. It goes from its lofty spiritual place and descends all the way down into scenarios and into um, questions and halachot that deal with darkness. So Kumashal, an analogy for this. Somebody who wants to clean out something. He needs to enter into it in order to clean it out. Here's the very important sentence, but not to stay there. Not to stay in the mess, not to stay in the dirt, to clean it out and then get out of there, right? So, so too, same thing. That the Torah descended it invested itself, became enclosed in darkness, in false claims. Why does, why does the Torah descend to deal with such things? It's so that we should clear out the darkness. To transform that darkness into light. And just a reminder, side point, what we mentioned before, Torah is the knowledge of good and evil. So when, we're, when we are talking about Torah dealing with darkness or with evil the Torah learning is still light it's there to get rid of the darkness but remember that like little nuance that we said there so when we say Torah descended into darkness when the Torah is dealing with darkness it's the knowledge of darkness there's no such thing as klipa as darkness within Torah it's not like when you're learning a certain passage of Torah that's dealing with evil people evil things um, or, or, or darkness that you're not learning Torah you are you're learning Torah as much as if you were dealing with positive things. It's the knowledge of the darkness that we can then apply to actually get rid of the darkness. The Kena Osek, the Torah, so too, the involvement of Torah study. Litchot HaKoshech, to push away the darkness, the HaKoshiyot, and all of the questions, HaMastir, which conceal, Alas Kalatadin, on knowing the law, HaEmet Lamito, truly. So we know that in order to actually get to knowing the truth of the law, you have to struggle, right? That's really what Gemara learning is all about. Um, there's, a, there's a struggle to get to the law. Because when you struggle, that's when you find the truth. Which is a revelation of the desires of Hashem. 
וזהו ויצא יצחק לסוח. That's why it says, and Yitzchak went to bend down. כי כדי לפנות הערב, now we are going to interpret Yitzchak. Before we were speaking about what Yitzchak did, now we're going to interpret Yitzchak on a day. What does Yitzchak represent? Yitzchak is the one who went down to bend down. When we bend down, when we lower ourselves to deal with the, with the least enlightened parts of Torah, namely the Brises and the Gemara, as opposed to, for example, Kabbalah, which we said is the most enlightened, we need to approach it in a way of Yitzchak. In order to get rid of this darkness, the evening, the darkness, to fix it, it has to specifically be through Yitzchak, because Yitzchak represents fear and awe of God. And as we mentioned previously, when we go to deal with specifically the parts of Torah that are purely intellectual and there's no enlightenment, we have to approach it from a place of what we call bitul. of year of awe because it's so easy when there's no enlightenment to be fooled and to forget that we're actually learning God's Torah God's wisdom and to start to think that it's our own wisdom and so in order to actually successfully learn this part of the Torah which is the most important because it's helping us learn and know exactly how to serve Hashem we have to approach it from a way of Yitzchak of fear and awe remembering that this is the Torah of Hashem that this is God's will and not just get wrapped up in our own intellect. <clears throat> like it says in Pirkei Avot, Im ein yira, ein If there is no awe, fear of Hashem, ein there is no wisdom. You cannot acquire Torah without approaching the Torah from a place of humility and awe. Only someone who is truly dedicated to doing what Hashem wants will be able to really grasp the true will of Hashem in the Torah laws. And this is also what it says in the Gemara, somebody who says, I only have Torah, even Torah he doesn't have. And he remains in darkness. What does that mean? If he says, I only have Torah, he doesn't even have Torah. If Torah represents light. If he says, I only have light, he doesn't even have light. He doesn't even have the Torah. Because the Torah is not there for light. The Torah is there for light. specifically applying that light, so to speak, of the Torah to get rid of the darkness. So if the only thing he has is enlightenment, like a tzaddik, he doesn't even have Torah because he's not able to know how to serve God practically in this world, which is the point of Torah's existence. So since he lacks fear of Hashem, his knowledge of the Torah's laws is only superficial and their true intention, since only one who actually really cares about doing what Hashem wants will really understand what Hashem wants. That, that explanation should take a bit of a different take on it. Very interesting. אבל,באמת,כשאנחנו even though it requires more effort to see Hashem in this type of Torah study, since he has to deal with finding the halakha in situations involving unholiness and in resolving many questions and contradictions in the Gemara until he arrives at the correct conclusion. Nonetheless, specifically in discovering the halakha in this darkness, he connects to Hashem deeper than if the halakha would be obvious and dealing with only holy things. This is why it's called Hashem's hiding place. There's an interesting story. I'm not sure if it applies 100%, but it's an interesting story um, that the city of Prague, which is known to have a, a very, very long history of Torah scholars, um, they were looking for a new Rav. And they have very, very, very high standards for their Rav. 
And so they were interviewing all sorts of people. And there was one man who I don't remember his name, which is unfortunate, um, who came to, <clears throat> I guess, to apply for the job of being Rav of Prague. And they wanted to test him. So they got a whole bunch of people in the room, a whole bunch of the Torah scholars in the town, and they were just shooting shyness at him, question after question after question after question. And so they were giving him questions, and he was answering them, giving questions, he was answering them. And then some guy came in, gave him a question, he answered it, and everyone started like getting all excited. They ran, they, they got the books, they opened them up, they said, no, you made a mistake, you're wrong. You're wrong. And he said, well, that must mean that that wasn't a real question. I said, what do you mean? He said, is that a, is, was that a real scenario that happened and you needed to know the answer? Or was it a theoretical question to come and test me? And the guy said, no, it was, it, was a, it was a theoretical question. I didn't actually have this question. He said, that's why I didn't get the answer right. Because God, when if somebody's posse kalacha, God is giving him the insight. But when it's just for my own, you know, why? Because God wants the Jewish people to know how to serve him. But when the goal is for me to prove my own smartness, God's not going to come and help me. So I made a mistake. You get the idea? So I don't know how much 100% it applies right here, but it's the idea that when you approach the Torah for the sake of serving God, God will help you actually understand the Torah. When you approach the Torah for your own intellectual pursuits, you're never going to actually understand the truth. Okay, so I guess it connects a little bit. It's just an interesting story. It's always stuck with me a little bit. This is what it means when we say from the verse that he went to Erev, that it's to clear away the darkness, clear away the evening, so that at the time of night there should be light. This is the idea of whitening the halacha. It's a term that's used when it means to clarify the halacha, it's the idea of whitening, to take something black and make it white. Through a person attaining a true fear of Hashem, he will really care about what Hashem wants, and he will be able to reveal Hashem in the seemingly dark learning of Gemara that discusses physical matters and unholy situations. And again, this is the place where people can get most caught up in their own ego and learning Gemara and all of their new chidushim, uh, which is very important to come up with new novel ideas and interpretations. It's, it's a very important thing, but very, the most important thing is to approach it from a place of humility and remember the true intention, which is to reveal the desire and the will of God, not to advance your own uh, your own intellectual understanding and also your own status or position, etc. This is also the explanation of why we make a blessing before learning the Torah. And we say this in the Birkata Shachar every morning, which is supposed to uh, include all the Torah learning that we're going to do that day. We make a blessing on it so that we remember that the learning of the Torah is there for the sake of heaven. It actually says um, that the. Here, it brings it here. It says in Yermia. Why was the land of Israel lost? Because the Jewish people abandoned my Torah. One of the explanations for the destruction of the second temple is because they didn't say Birkata Torah before learning the Torah. What does it mean they didn't say Birkata Torah? Okay, so you didn't say the blessing, but you were learning Torah. That's the whole point. They started to learn Torah and forget that this is the Torah of God. And as we approach Hanukkah, we'll see that that was, that was, um, that was the goal of the, um, of the Greeks as well. They said, learn Torah. That's totally fine with us. But learn Torah as an intellectual pursuit, not as something for God. And, uh, and, and that's, that's the whole point here, that we mustn't ever lose sight of that. So it says, what is, so it says in the Dharma and Gemara, what is the meaning of this verse that the land was lost because they abandoned the Torah? We find that they learned Torah diligently. The answer is they didn't make a bracha on the Torah before they learned it. 
Hasidus explains that making a bracha on the Torah doesn't just mean saying the words of the bracha printed in the Siddur. It also means to appreciate the holiness of the Torah and how it connects us to Hashem. This comes from the prayer in the morning that comes before the Torah study, where a Jew comes to a love and fear for Hashem and recognizes that through the Torah, he learns, through the Torah he learns, he fulfills his yearning to connect to Hashem. The phrase, Berchu Torah, they made a blessing on the Torah, can also be translated as Berchu Torah, they drew down into the Torah, because Baruch means to draw down, to draw down a vine, and to Berkayim on knees, that we bend down with our knees. So since Baruch can mean to bless or to draw down, this means that through the prayer before Torah study, we draw down Hashem's light into the Torah that we learn, revealing how Hashem is really hiding Himself in the Torah, and we connect to Him specifically there. This completes the idea mentioned in the Mimer, that when a Jew fears Hashem, the aspect of Yitzchak, then he bends down into the field, meaning he reveals how Hashem is hiding in the Gemara and Brisa, which causes that the night should be cleared out and replaced with light. Let's go back to the original verse and see it now again. Now we can understand it on a completely different level and dimension. Yitzchak went out, which means that when went out means he left his lofty enlightened status. All the way at the beginning, page two. Yitzchak, why Yitzchak specifically? Because Yitzchak represents fear. And he represents awe of Hashem. And we have to, when, when we leave the enlightened place of learning what we can call Torah Shabbat, the written Torah, which has an element of light and automatically hum, um, humbles us when we learn it, or when, we're le- when we leave the dimension of learning what we can call Kabbalah, where it's all about esoteric ideas and all about God and godliness, and we go down to the details, we have to leave that enlightened place with the perspective of Yitzchak, from a place of bitul, from a place of awe, from a place of respect for the Torah and remembering that this is Hashem's Torah and Hashem's will. La suach, to bend down, to lower ourselves to the level of sadeh, a field where we deal with mundane, physical things, even to the point that Torah is dealing with lies and dealing with the opposite of truth and the opposite of goodness. And then lifnot erev. When we do this, we are able, when the intention is lifnot erev, to get rid of and to remove the evening so that there should be light. Okay, what do you guys think? That's great. How are we gonna, what do you guys wanna take from this? What do you think? I'll give you a few minutes to think. No one has to like take on Haflatot or whatever, but I'm just curious, like what are you taking for yourself from this mimer? We learned, we learned it over a few days, so it's kind of all still, still fresh. <laughs>